Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a fortnightly look at the technologies that are going to affect our lives in, wait for it, the near future. Okay, we're going to start this Futurist episode in the past. It's 2017, and Apple has been doing things with its phones that you wouldn't believe. Apparently they started making sure that the devices would slow down after about three years, they said to maximise the battery, but basically people would go and spend their money on a replacement. The company ended up paying $113 million in a settlement in the US, as well as $5 million lawsuit elsewhere in a separate action relating to products from 2016. Now, Apple now has a clean house and I don't suggest otherwise, so surely everybody else has stopped doing such things as well in all other industries? Well, let's talk to my guest about that in a second. He's a serial entrepreneur and author. He is a young, well, these things are relative, I think 40-year-olds are young, entrepreneur who's passionate about ending these unfair maintenance practices. His background involves two previous tech projects, including an innovative search engine algorithm, which was acquired by Accor subsidiary John Paul. After becoming executive assistant to the EMEA president of the Big Four elevator brand Otis and witnessing firsthand how unjust the market was, he founded his company to overturn the archaic model. Despite almost 12 billion spent every single year to maintain European elevators, they still experience an average of five failures a year. His company is called Uptime and his name is Augustin Cellier. Augustin, welcome. Thank you. Good. So first, tell me a little bit about Uptime and what you do. Sure. Uptime is a predictive maintenance technology for elevators. It provides access to data that leads to fewer breakdowns, more uptime and less cost. Elevators with Uptime's intelligence system benefit from real-time data to monitor safety, increase performance and modernize the outdated elevator experience. While the availability of transparent information strengthens trust between building managers and elevator service providers. Okay, now I used the example of uh, Apple in my introduction, which is not something, an area that you work in. I appreciate that, uh, mostly because it's out there and it's old news, so it's safe to talk about it without annoying any lawyers. But overall, um, how big is the issue of built-in obsolescence um, in many industries? Did you come across it often? Yes, a lot. I think it's no secret that consumer equipment manufacturers have a sneaky habit of deliberately limiting the lifespan of their devices to increase profits from new sales and repairs over the long term. But a slightly lesser known fact is that industrial equipment often follows the same trend. And this industry harbors another little secret is that they encourage inefficient productivity hunts uh, as service providers and they drive up failure rates and reduce the overall quality of service that users receive. Today, you know, the big equipment manufacturers, they rely on breakdowns to invoice expensive repairs. And we've seen that in the automotive industry, we've seen that in the plane industry, and we've seen that a lot in elevators. And as you mentioned, despite almost 12 billion spent every year to maintain European elevators, and despite service visits very often, up to once per month, they still experience an average failure of five per year, which is huge. Okay, so tell me a bit about the elevator industry. I know very little about it. I've been in elevators, and that's about as far as my expertise goes. How long should a unit last without the need for maintenance? A unit needs maintenance on a, on a yearly basis after it's been installed. 
Uh, and manufacturers are being slowing down that a bit uh, since the relationship between building manager and elevated service providers is archaic. Uh, to give you a bit of, of background, an elevator's lifespan per se is almost the same as the one of the building. Uh, it can be modernized every 20 years, but it is something which is a box going up and down and should be pretty reliable and should be usable for years and years. However, the maintenance model was designed to service the install base under very fixed terms, terms that are not specified per the building's usage, by the traffic or even the real need of the building or the building owners or the building tenants. The way it is built is that building managers receive a maintenance contract with a number of mandatory visits. Again, not depending on anything around the context. Uh, it's like if you would bring your car every month to your car manufacturer for no reason, even if you haven't used it. Uh, and then they include in the contract some emergency breakdown response. So if someone is trapped or if there is a breakdown stopping the elevator. But every additional repair is sold on top of the contract. And that is why as a building manager, you end up purchasing means. By means, I mean the visits and the breakdown response, but not the actual result. You're not purchasing an actual guarantee that the elevators will work. And that is where the problem lies, because on the supply side, as a service provider, you will focus on productivity uh, on those means, and you will focus on selling more and more repairs. And that's why you have unnecessary maintenance visits, increased downtime, and at the end of the day, very frustrated building occupants, because they cannot use the elevators as much as they want. That is the whole problem. Okay, so uh, you've outlined what manufacturers um, are doing to, um, uh, uh, to to build their profits up by selling uh, um, uh, the, the um, perhaps unnecessary repairs or perhaps unnecessary uh, maintenance visits. What can the buyers do about it, though? I mean, this is uh, they're a bit of a captive audience, aren't they? There aren't thousands of elevator manufacturers out there. Well, there are a few things that buyers can do. Um... I, I would say two, two main things. The first one is that more and more buyers can go to third-party maintainers. Uh, again, an elevator is a box going up and down. And in most cases, it's not extremely complicated to maintain. Uh, and you have more and more independent service providers, which are local regional companies that can do a much better job in terms of maintenance and repairs. And that will avoid you know, this manufacturer's bias of selling more and more and focus on productivity. So that is the first thing. And we've seen this trend in various countries uh, pick up a lot of, uh, a lot of momentum. Uh, as a whole, hold, you have four big elevator manufacturers in the world. They had approximately 47, 43% of market share in terms of maintenance of the installed base in 2012, according to Credit Suisse. And now they have only 37. So Independent service providers are gaining momentum, and that is the first thing that buyers can do about it. But the I second thing, it, yeah, sorry, sorry, carry on. The second thing they can do about it is to focus on performance-based contracts. Is to ask from your service provider a contract based on performance, where they will have a tool to monitor this performance 
bring some transparency in the relationship between the service provider and the building manager. And if you have this transparency on information, and if you focus on a financial commitment to results, then you build trust and then you avoid all those unnecessary, you know, visits, repairs and, and lack of uh, success. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted, or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. I suppose it's odd, really. We do end up uh, paying an awful lot for all sorts of things. Uh, we pay uh, maintenance um, uh, uh, contracts. Uh, basically, we pay for when it fails rather than paying for when something works, uh, which is which would change the emphasis uh, quite a lot. I do take your point about going to somewhere independent. I, I, I no longer have a car. I gave it up, uh, but uh, I um, used to uh, have, have one. And as it happens, my local council had a depot that would uh, do MOTs, uh, which is our uh, annual certification to prove that your car is roadworthy. And they didn't sell parts and they didn't sell cars, so they had no vested interest in selling me anything other than an accurate test, which uh, I, I suppose is a similar um, sort of thing. I'm just wondering, these are pretty serious allegations about the uh, some of the big four uh, elevator companies. Have there ever been any lawsuits around them? Are they actually doing anything illegal? Um, well, you have something in, in public information. Um, for example, there was a recent case in Canada where the Calgary Tower uh, sued Tyson Krupp elevator after eight passengers were inside one of the tower's elevators and two out of the six cables broke, resulting in the car plunging several stories. And then the tower was shut down for a number of months. Uh, and just after three months later, there was another incident, and again, the elevator was shut down again. And that's, for, for us, it's a pretty basic uh, case where it, uh, a hole in cables doesn't broke like that, doesn't break like that. Uh, it takes a long time. It, it's 30 years it can sustain. So you see that very, very much in advance as a maintenance provider. So if Tyson Krupp's teams over there didn't see those holding cables were about to broke, what were they doing during the maintenance? And that's the reason why now the Calgary Tower is assuming the maintenance was not properly done and they're, they're asking them for seven millions. And they are themselves is, uh, uh, having a class action lawsuit against themselves by the guys that were in the elevators. And that's just one occurrence, but we see that all the time across, across the globe. Okay, so where does uptime come into it and uh, what can you actually do to help a company, uh, a, a, a building manager, a facilities manager, whoever, uh, to understand uh, the, the actual state of their elevator? What's the technology behind it? Well, you know, lifts already have dozens of sensors. Uh, they have exact position sensors in the shaft. They have door sensors. They have door lock sensors, temperature sensors on the engines and so on. They also have this number of trips counter. Uh, like the mileage counter on your car. However, it's not readable without a specific tool, and therefore it's never used. So again, it's like if you would be asking for maintenance for your car without even knowing the mileage and what has been done previously, which is 
completely crazy. And that's the case of the elevator industry. So now the most obvious way of building IoT for elevators is not by adding sensors, it's by obtaining and processing the existing data. And that's exactly what we do. We connect to the main electronic board, which we call the controller of the elevator, and we gather all the pre-existing data that is already here. And that allows uptimes to build a predictive maintenance technology that enables the mechanician, the technicians on site during the maintenance and then in the repairs actions to go directly to the root cause of the problem and avoid unnecessary actions and unnecessary repairs and actually increase dramatically the performance of the elevators and avoid breakdowns. And as everything of this is digital and transparent, you can also take the data, analyze it and give it directly to the building manager, to the building owners, so they know what's going on. And you end up that black box system where they don't know what they pay for. And since they know what they pay for, as I mentioned earlier, they can focus on, on, on the performance of the contracts and the relationships becomes much more sane and much better for the end users, which are the tenants of the building. So what happens to your business if these uh, dubious practices, if the um, overuse of uh, maintenance contracts, what happens to your businesses if uh, those practices go away and the manufacturers start um, uh, revising their contacts and even offering the um, users the data that's available by themselves? Well, this is exactly something we're pursuing. Um, our technology is made as a platform to enable service providers on the market to do that transformation, to go from an old obsolete world where they were selling means uh, where they sell results. And we're enabling any service company, and that might be the independent ones that we talked about earlier, or that might be even the bigger ones. So our, our goal here is that everybody understands that it's an obsolete way of doing things. And the more we put technology into, into the service contracts, the more we'll be focused on performance and trust. So I hope those sharp prices go away and then we help that. Okay. Now I've mentioned phones a couple of times and I know that's not an area you look at, but are there any other industries in which manufacturers uh, put in a deliberate unnecessary sell-by date? I've heard, for example, that smart packaging could extend the safe life of perishable food by detecting what's going on in the pack. Yeah, we've heard a lot in in the railways industry and also in the, in the aviation, in the planes industry, where the manufacturers, they they sell the equipment at a very low cost initially uh, with very low margins. So it's extremely similar to, to elevators. And then they try to take back the profits on, on spare parts and changes and repairs. Uh, and the moment you put some sensors in it and you avoid doing some very regular preventive maintenance that can be sometimes unnecessary or not targeted where it should be, uh, you start building some performance evaluations. Uh, for example, in France, the French railway company SNCF has already cut breakdowns more than half in train sets with remote diagnostics. Uh, so they put a lot of pressure on the manufacturers and pass providers thanks to that. Uh, and we've seen something also going on in the industries, uh, in the production facilities, where the tools, the machinery used, are also seeing a similar kind of transformation in terms of maintenance. Okay, do you plan to move into other industries? I mean, automotive strikes me, and as you say, railway, as something that could do with the same sort of predictive maintenance that uh, you offer. Well, you know, 
when we started off time four years ago, there were 13, 14 million elevators worldwide. Uh, we expect to have 26 million elevators worldwide in 2030. Uh, so the opportunity is huge. We're really aiming at transforming this industry first. Uh, and there is a lot of work yet to be done in terms of connecting every elevator out there and transforming the service contract in something that works on. So that is our first focus. And we will not derail that for the years to come until we have changed the way this industry works. Now, there are definitely other industries that we could have an impact uh, quite fast with the same approach. The most uh, closer, the closest to us would be all the building systems. Uh, you can have HVAC, you can have fire security systems, access controls, all that, which is kind of linked also to the elevator because the elevator is, is like the the main colon of every flow of every people flow in the building. And we can also so, solve everything that's next to it. So that would be the next focus. But again, uh, we won't stop with elevators until we have transformed the industry. And that will take a few years. And sticking to what you're best at is often a very good business plan. I respect that. So finally, uh, how do people find out uh, more about uh, yourself and Uptime and uh, what you do? So everybody can go on uptime.ac and find out our company, what we do in our recent years. August Céline of Uptime, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time.